Hi, my name is Sarah Rachel Brown. I'm a 30-something-year-old woman, and I live in Philadelphia. I'm a contemporary jeweler. And like many others, I am an artist trying to make a living. On this podcast, I'm going to broach the subject of value. I'll be talking to studio artists and performers, educators and administrators, and anyone else attempting to combine their creative endeavors with how they get a paycheck. Welcome. It's another episode of Perceived Value. I'm Sarah Rachel Brown, and I have a lot of things to tell you about in this intro. First order of business is thanking my most recent supporters of the podcast. Thank you goes to Micah for donating through my PayPal link on my website. And thank you to my newest patrons, Mary, Bree, Mora, Kathleen, Nick, Raisa, and Kelly. Thanks to your generous support, this gal is now making 169 bucks per episode through my Patreon. And for those wondering what Patreon is, it is a crowdfunding membership platform where you, the patrons, sign up and to donate whatever amount you want. So say for instance, you sign up to be a $5 patron. That means every time I publish an episode, you're charged five bucks. I typically charge my patrons twice a month. So that means you would be giving me $10 a month. Thank you. Find out more on my website at perceivedvaluepodcast.com and click under the support tab. Now, as I record this introduction, it is Friday, May 17th, and come Tuesday, I'll be on a plane to Chicago, Illinois, for the 48th Annual Society of North American Goldsmiths Conference. This year, the theme is coming full circle, as SNAG is celebrating its 50th anniversary. As with each conference I've attended in the past, I'm looking forward to reconnecting with some of my favorites within the metals and jewelry community, but of course, also meeting plenty of new faces. If you're going and are hoping to cross paths with this gal, here's where you can find me. On Thursday and Friday at the conference, I have been asked by Snag to facilitate Snag stories. I'll be set up at the conference on the fifth floor to capture your memories or first time experiences of Snag. This special conference feature, similar to NPR's StoryCorps, is part of Snag's 50th birthday celebration. I'm pretty excited to help Snag record their history, and if you'd like to be part of this digital archive, make sure to sign up for a time slot when you register at the conference. These 15-minute time slots are limited and are on a first-come, first-served basis, so if you want to be on that mic, sign up as soon as possible. On Saturday, you can find me and my microphones at Adornment and Theory, a curated art jewelry and design studio located in the heart of Chicago's Logan Square. Perceived Value has partnered with Adornment and Theory for this special one-day event in conjunction with their current exhibition, Underexposed, which features artist-made jewelry created by artists of color. The series places a finger on the pulse of an industry mainstream where there is little presence of diversity. Jewelry pieces have been photographed, curated, framed, and displayed by other activists, artists, POC. To enhance the reach and the discussion of the work, we are hosting a live recording of the podcast amongst myself, 
Viviana Langhoff, the owner of Dormant in Theory, and Adia Sykes, the co-curator of the exhibition. Our intention is to discuss the lack of visibility and representation of artists and makers of color in the jewelry world. And I am excited to bring this discussion to the podcast. I owe many thanks to Viviana for trusting me with this and this special event and, you know, for supporting me to do so. From 4 to 6 p.m. on Saturday, I encourage you to finish up your shopping at the Snag Trunk Show and make your way to Adornment in Theory to see the exhibition, of course, and also to connect with me, the gal behind the podcast. If you listen to the podcast, you know I am a member of JV Collective, and four of us will be in Chicago for this conference. Leslie Boyd is making the trek from Denver, Emily Cobb is flying in from Northern California, and Mallory Weston is taking a brief absence from her current artist residency and traveling all the way from Amsterdam. For JV's exhibition, Sirens, we created an enamel pin set based off of illustrations by members Melanie Belanker and Emily Cobb, and we still have a handful of pin sets. I don't know if you've been paying attention, but things are not going so well for women's reproductive rights. And states such as Alabama and Georgia are passing some pretty scary legislation. As a collective, we have decided that all proceeds from the sales of our Sirens enamel pin sets will go towards the Yellow Hammer Fund, which provides funding for anyone seeking care at one of Alabama's three abortion clinics. And they help with other barriers such as travel and lodging. The JV Collective We believe in a woman's right to choose. You can find us at the conference, Leslie, Mallory, Emily, and myself, and we will all have pin sets on us at all times. They're 25 bucks a set, and we gladly accept cash, PayPal, and Venmo. My guest today is a blacksmith and the principal of Rossi Metal Design, located right here in Philadelphia, which specializes in unique architectural works and sculpture. This blacksmith from Michigan holds an MFA in metalsmithing from Cranbrook Academy of Art and has exhibited both nationally and internationally. Most recently, along with two of his peers, he has taken on the task of organizing a symposium. Over the past two years, Mike Rossi, along with fellow blacksmiths Warren Holtzman and John Reyes, have dedicated their time and resources to putting together Looking Forward, a contemporary blacksmithing and metal design symposium to be held at Bryn Athen in Pennsylvania, June 14th through 16th. It's May 17th as I publish this episode, just a month out from the event, and registration officially closed today. Last I heard, it was almost at capacity. Ow, ow. I wanted to sit down with Mike to discuss why he decided to take on this endeavor. As someone who loves to facilitate, I still haven't attempted to organize an event of this size. I'm a little intimidated by the thought. And so I was excited to get some insight as to what his experience has been, especially for someone who has no background whatsoever in this realm. So please welcome today's guest, Mike Rossi. (laughs) Cheers. Do you have any chips or celery? I have popcorn. I was kidding, kind of. <laughs> but that could be like if you do need it. Oh yeah, you know it's the weirdest thing that I've become self-conscious about is smacking. Oh yeah. Yeah, and being a, 
I'm a bit of a mouth breather. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> That's really frustrating to realize about yeah. myself. I mean, thank yeah. God I don't up speak because yeah. that was the other thing I was really scared of realizing. Do you know what, do you know what up speak is? You mean like this? Yes. Yeah. Where you constantly up. I can't even fake up speak that right. really well, but I know people in my life that do it. Um, the thing about that was that every time I did it, yeah, I felt like it was crazy. <laughs> You're doing it. Oh, See, I can't God. even do that. Um, so that's one of like the biggest faux pas right. of podcasting. Also, vocal fry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which luckily I don't really have because, you know, I don't smoke yeah. cigarettes. I don't naturally have it. But sometimes mama stays up too late and she's frying <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> For the most part, uh, I've gotten her. And then, you know, there's also the other um, saying like and um a lot. Um. So I'm not much of a liker or a ummer. Right. I say um. I think an mm. I think an um is nice when you need to take a moment and think yeah. about things. But my filler thing is because some people say, you know what I mean. You know After what I'm everything. talking about. You know what I'm saying. You know. After everything, mine is you know and all the things. Right. Mine <sighs> is man. I feel like I say man too much, but maybe that's just in my head. Well, for those listening, yeah, um, you can play the Mike Rossi drinking game, and every time he <laughs> says man, go ahead and take a drink. <laughs> All right, man, let's do this. And listeners, uh, <laughs> come back. <laughs> take a Hold on a second. <clears throat> yep. Mike. Yes. Thanks for coming over. Thank you for having me. It's a Sunday night. It's Mother's Day. I know. I called my mom. Did you call your mom? Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. I got reminded by my sister. Oh, good. (laughs) Yeah. You need that. Yep. I just get reminded because I work at a jewelry shop, and so I have... Oh, right. Panic-stricken men coming in at 11 (laughs) a.m. right when we open. No one is ever there right when we open, except for things like Mother's Day. Right. And then they're just like, do you have any jewelry that I can buy right now? I'm like, Yeah. (laughs) Except it's all gold, and the cheapest thing you're getting out of here with. Do you have a like, case labeled "I've made a mistake"? <laughs> we do actually, and it's not cheap. Yeah, <laughs> that that case is not cheap. You don't deserve it. Um, nice. But yeah, it was Mother's Day. So, Mike. Yes. You guys, if you listen to the podcast um, backlog, Marion Dages. What was her name of her episode called? I can't remember. Ooh, I Napoleon. Know. It's small, yes. small like the name. No, mm. 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 failing. Yep. Whatever. Uh, go back and listen to it though. Go Very back and listen. To it. That's <laughs> I think she was like episode seventeen or something. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, she's great. And so I'm talking to Mike. We reference Mike in that episode because that is her sweetie, and now he's on. Yes. Hey man. Hello. Um, he's a blacksmith. You're a blacksmith. Yeah. Uh, That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always like, you're not a jeweler. Look, guys, somebody yeah. that's not a jeweler on the podcast. Um, but I knew you before I knew Marion. Yeah, I th- think I taught concentration while you were. Yeah, core. You, well, you know what, Mike? You're kind of one of those people that are always coming back to Penla. <laughs> you, yes. you were there. That is true. Yeah, you were there yeah. a lot while I was there. Um, yeah. A few times prior to concentration, actually. Oh, yeah. Because by the time you taught concentration, I was like, oh, cool. Mike Ross is going to be up here for two months. <laughs> yeah. So I'd already gotten to know you a bit. Well, I first went there when I was 20. Oh, wow. How, old, so how old are you? I am 37. Oh, you're 37? Yeah. Wow, you haven't grayed a, 
Like, I don't see a single gray hair on your head. They're in the back. They're coming in. Oh, really? Marianne keeps track. Oh, yeah. okay, good. So, yeah. <laughs> um, Marianne and I, for the listeners, are the full Penland experience. That's mm. when you go to Penland and you find the love of your life. So Wolf. we met at Penland, yeah. Yeah. So we're one of those. I mean, I fell in love with Penland, too. Yes. Fell out of love with yes. Penland, too. Yeah. You know, that happens, yeah, too, yeah. too. That's kind of the full Penland experience in a lot yeah. of ways as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah. we've both gotten it. Yeah. Um, so Penland's been uh, big in my life, yeah. for sure. Yeah. I mean, you've unofficially lived there yeah. on and off. Well, so. Marianne was a course student. I lived in Bakersville. So. Yeah. Yeah. Which, if you've been to Bakersville, means that you spend as much time as possible at Penland. So, <laughs> yeah, Bakersville. Yeah. There's not really anything going on there. Oh, we got that stoplight. You got one stoplight. You got, oh, that plant hanging right behind me? Right that? Oh, yeah. Right there? That plant is from Bakersville. Well, there you go. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, so I'm excited to have Mike on the podcast because a few things. First of all, one of my favorite Penland people that I met... Um, I mean, I still talk to you, so yeah, there you go. That's good. Yeah. And also, blacksmith doing it. Yep. Making a living blacksmithing. Yep. Um, guys, he doesn't make swords, so don't bring it up. That's correct. And also, you are one of the organizers for an upcoming symposium. Yes. For blacksmiths. Yes. Which I wanted to highlight because it's going to be right outside of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. It's the weekend. What is it? The 14th, 15th, June and 14th, 15th, and 16th. Awesome. So, so it's coming up kind of last minute. If you're across the country, I get that. But if you're in the area, take a listen. I think it's going to be really... Um, I don't know if it's actually going to be good. I got to wait till the end of the We interview. don't either. We're really <laughs> hoping it's going I mean, we're at that part where we've like, we've thrown the dart and it's going to land somewhere. It's like and when you've been working at a, on a painting for so long that you're looking at it and you're yeah. like, I don't even know if it's good anymore. Right. Just kidding. It's going to be fantastic. I hope so. Yeah. We're going to find out. But let's start, before we talk about sure. symposium business, yes. let's yes. talk about you, Mike. Okay. Where One of my you? favorite subjects. <laughs> hey, same. Um, where are you from? <laughs> uh, I grew up just north of Detroit uh, in the Burbs. Oh. And then uh, I also north of Traverse City in Michigan, if you know where that is. If you hold up your hand, it's just a, it's the top of the pinky. Of Michigan? So, yeah. Oh, okay. So oh, I grew wow. Up in those Pretty two. north. Yeah, and then I went to college uh, even further north in the Upper Peninsula. So Where at? What, what, what college is that? Oh, okay. I've heard of that. Here? Yeah. yeah. So it's Northern Michigan University in lovely Marquette, Michigan. Okay. Which just had a record-breaking snowfall. Oh, really? So, yep. <laughs> oh, wow. Woof. So when you went to um, college, did you go undergrad? Did you go into it to study metalwork or what'd you do? Yeah, so uh, just by happenstance, the middle school I went to mm-hmm. uh, happened to have this art teacher. Yeah. And he happened to be a non-vet who had come back on the GI Bill and gone to U of M with the Pijanowskis, Hiroko and Eugene. Pijanowski. Who are those people? Uh, they were kind of big in the Mokume movement in okay. the 
early 70s and, and still are. I don't, if um, you don't know what Mocha Megane is, it's like yeah. we don't have time to explain sure. that. But, but like, technical metalsmithing process. So yeah. he had gone to college there and he had gotten his master's and then he taught middle school students. And so when I was 12, I started making jewelry with him. And so we were doing sawing and piercing, silver soldering, wow. lost wax casting and silver, mirror polishing, and um, yeah, everything. That's wild. Like I yeah. didn't even realize metalsmithing existed until I was like 23. You know, it was just part of, it was just him. He just yeah. did this. Every time he bought a new piece of equipment for himself, he'd bring the old one into the studio. Yeah. So we had like a centrifugal caster and like, I mean, it was pretty legit, but he never told us it was hard. Yeah. So we just like did stuff. We were like, okay, this is silver soldering. This is. I so, like that yeah. where you don't preface it with this like, oh, no. there's this difficult. It was like one week we were doing like life drawing, you know, the shadow cubes or whatever. Oh, and I then remember the next that. week we were doing sawing and piercing. And um, yeah, he had a huge impact on my life. So. Uh, for three years in middle school, I was in there all the time, like after, like during lunch, after school, whatever free time I had, I was in there making, Yeah, you know, not great jewelry. <laughs> I but mean, you're I was, 12. Come on now. It was mostly in new gold, you know? But and it's not you, hemp necklaces, you, so. Yeah, it wasn't <clears throat> hemp ne- necklaces. And I did get to do lost wax casting, and I did do stuff in silver. And this is like 12, 13, 14. So and then cool. when I left middle school, he gave me like a thousand dollars in hand tools. Like he gave me a buffer, he gave me a hood, he yeah. gave me five or ten pliers, files, saw frames. So you like, were the favorite student. Well, I was not, in there a lot. Yeah, I'm. I'm, yeah. I'm assuming not every student gets the kind. No, of, like, no, but I was into yeah. it. And you know, w- this is the weirdest thing. But he was showing us pictures of people in the field. At that yeah. time. So this is the early 90s. So he was showing us pictures of um, Gary Nofke's work. Okay. He was showing us slides of, uh, uh, oh, God. See, now I'm in front of a microphone. Yeah, see, look at uh, Richard Maudsley's okay, work yeah. and Mary Lee Hughes' work. Okay, yep. And it was only years later that I realized he was shooting slides out of Metalsmith Magazine. Oh, and weird. bringing that into his middle school class and showing us slides out of Metalsmith that he had like processed himself in a pre-digital era. Like, what? This guy's cool. Yeah, but I didn't know. So like, he was just showing us these pictures and like, yeah, yeah, it was amazing. Um, then did your high school? Because I've met a lot of people that are like, oh, yeah. I took Metalsmith in high school. That's how I got. No, so my in high this. school didn't have any of that. So oh. it was me in like my parents' basement and garage. Yeah, I had like. They used to sell this like plumbers oh, mixed I know gas about, kit. Yeah. yeah, so I used that. I did cuttlefish casting mm-hmm. in the garage and like whatever. Did, did I had you a keep bench. in touch with him through high school. I did through high school, and then I lost track of him after college. And um, yeah, unfortunately, he passed away last year. Oh bummer! bummer. Yeah, sounds um, like a really cool guy though. He was amazing. Uh, he taught drafting as well. So like, I I use what he taught me when I was twelve. Like every day that's wild like not a joke not an exaggeration like every day <laughs> i'm not I use saying something. this to impress you no i use something that mr spitzer taught me so like um so throughout high school i was just making stuff and i joke with marianne because i was like the kid who had like instead of like a comic book like tucked into my math textbook yeah i had like jewelry for tradesmen and craftspeople like <laughs> 
<laughs> I had these old technical manuals. Yeah. And I was like constantly. So I went to college thinking I was going to do silversmithing or jewelry. Okay. And it was with a guy named Dale Wiedig at Northern Michigan University. Yeah. And um, he taught this really broadly based metalsmithing program. Mm-hmm. So he had a blacksmithing class. And yeah. I was like, yeah, awesome. I'm a 19-year-old male. I'm going to make a knife. <laughs> and and also I was like, and I'll make some repose punches. Yeah. That was my big goal for that class. Okay. I'm going to make a knife and I'm going to make repose punches. This is going to be great. And like two weeks in, I was like, I don't care about the knife. I don't care about the repose punches. I am sold. I want more of this. Yeah. And uh, just went into blacksmithing from and, that point onward. And I know, I mean, from what I've I've hung out with some blacksmiths. Oh, yeah. I, you know what? I always found myself hanging out at the blacksmithing studio mm-hmm. at Penland. Like a moth yeah. to the light. Yeah. Um, they're typically cute. They're fun. We're loud, so it's easy to find us. <laughs> they're loud. <too. laughs> yeah. um, but uh, there's not a lot of programs necessarily no. in the country for it. And so, uh, I just lucked out. So there was a program. I mean, there's ways yeah. to keep going with blacksmithing at that school. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a BFA in blacksmithing from Northern Michigan University. Oh, weird. Yeah. Off the top of your head, I mean, do you have any idea how many places offer that kind of thing? As far as I know, there's only that and Carbondale. Yeah, because Car- so, SIU yeah. Carbondale have had the pleasure of visiting there. Yeah. To hang out with a bunch of blacksmiths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I know so, it's kind of... Yeah, know, and my college didn't have a graduate program. Yeah. So uh, that was just a BFA in blacksmithing. But yeah. So, oh, did you pay for undergrad? How'd you pay for undergrad? Uh, well, of course you paid for it, but. Well, it was paid for. Oh. So my parents uh, basically covered undergrad, more nice. or less. Yeah. What do your parents do? Uh, my dad is an accountant. My mom is a nurse. Oh, nice. Um, so they covered tuition. Mm-hmm. I covered everything else. Did you take out loans for like pay for rent or did you actually work no, through college? No, no, no. I, so I worked throughout high school. So I actually went to college with, um, with a fair bit of money saved up. Wow. I had about $16,000 saved up when I went to college. What? See, I worked yeah. at Outback Steakhouse all through high school, but I went with yeah. nothing because I spend money. Like yeah. it's my job. Right. Yeah. I don't <laughs> ever. Yeah. Okay. Under any circumstances. It's a problem okay um but i just worked i had about seven or eight jobs throughout high school cool. I mostly saved that money so and then um i went to a state school yeah and i got scholarships and state tuition so, and yeah. things like that oh yeah so, before the mics were on we we're talking about yeah <laughs> i was admitting to mike that i did this conversation that's coming in an upcoming episode so i'm gonna give too much away but that i've always been really ashamed of my act score and then this right. guy's like Test taking's my superpower. That was like my yeah. Yeah. But the the point of me telling you that was that like <laughs> I see how that is a flaw in the educational system. Yeah, sorry. Like, I didn't mean to make you No, so no. <laughs> yeah. I was just yeah. bragging to Sarah before we said No. I was like, uh, but I'm sure like with yeah. the scores that you were telling me, because they were insane, yeah. that you probably got really great scholarships. I did. Yeah. And I got um because I kind of came in with more of a portfolio than a lot of high school students end up with. Mm-hmm. I also got some like awards and stuff. Oh, so great. My parents were like, chiching. Yeah. So, like at the time, I was considering going to Syracuse, okay. which was $32,000 a year in tuition, mm-hmm. and they were not going to give me very good 
uh, scholarships. Yeah. So I went to this tiny state school where my four-year education came in under one year at Syracuse. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, that's smart. Yeah. I just couldn't imagine... If I'd gone anywhere else, loans would have had to have come into the picture earlier. So Yeah. So when you graduated, um, did they talk about how to make a living as a blacksmith? Well, so uh, I took a blacksmithing class. Yeah. And then after my first year of college, um, I went back home, got my high school job landscaping Mm. again, and then got laid off and came home and was like, I'm 19. Who cares? I got laid off. I'm just going to hang out for a week. Yeah. And my dad came home and was like, hey, I've got this client. Uh, You've met him. I don't know if you remember this guy, Don Bosco. And I was like, oh, yeah, you've known him a long time. He was like, he knows a blacksmith who needs somebody. And so I got laid off. And 48 hours later, I had a job as a blacksmith. Wow. Working for a guy named Scott Langton, who at the time was the vice president of Abana. I was like, I know that name. Yeah. I mean, I hang out with y'all. Yeah, you, yeah. You talk. So uh, I worked for Scott throughout undergrad mm-hmm. for summers and holidays. So I was 19 and I got a job working as a blacksmith <laughs> in like a big architectural shop working. Yeah. So like I'd never run a power hammer before. Yeah. And my second day on the job uh, was running 10 foot tapers on a nasal 2B, which for the audience is like a means. giant power hammer. Okay. It's like, I've never driven, but the second day I was driving, I was given a Maserati. Okay, there we go. That's Thank basically, you. That helps. Yeah. yeah. And I just didn't know. I had no idea. And yeah. looking back, hugely embarrassing. Because I met Scott to like get the job. And he was like, so do you have a portfolio? Or like, have, like do you have any skills you can talk about? And I was like, well, like I riveted a thing. And like <laughs> um, I've done bending. You know, and he just needed somebody. Big up to Scott for taking a chance on you. He just needed a, a person, and I yeah. was at the right place at the right time. And um, and you're young. You can catch on fast. Probably yeah, and I was willing to do anything. Yeah. I was like, I'll sweep the floor. I don't care. Like, I just want to be here. And so I worked for Scott for three years uh, the first time. Mm-hmm. And um, Scott, in addition, so Scott's the reason I have a business today. Like, yeah. because he taught me how to do things in a production way. I'm yeah. sure you had a similar experience with Sarah. Like, oh, yeah. How to, like, break jobs down into a productive and profitable way. Mike knows my mentor, Sarah Lurcher. Yes. So. Um, but at the same time, Scott kind of went the extra mile and would actually tell me things about the business. He oh, interesting. Me, yeah. I wonder why he decided to do that. I was just curious. Oh, and I yeah. think he took he saw an opportunity to be a mentor and took it. And um, so he would tell me how much jobs were coming in, why he priced them the way he did. And Mm. he would also take me to meetings that I had no business being at. So I would just like sit in the corner of these meetings where it's Scott and the client and the architect and the interior designer and they're arguing and, you know, refining all these things and I'm just soaking it in. So, yeah. So kind of without, planning i just lucked out that's an invaluable experience i just lucked out so like by the time i got out of undergrad i kind of knew how to price jobs and knew how to break jobs down oh you mean the hardest parts of it that's crazy so then you graduate undergrad did you keep working for scott or did you decide to go out on your own 
I immediately went into grad school. Oh, you did? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Where'd you go to grad school? Cranbrook Academy of Art. He says that as he's kind of like choking uh, it out. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah. that's interesting to me. Yeah. You know, I feel so intimidated to talk about Cranbrook sometimes because I know the price tag. Yeah. And it's such a different realm for me that right. I can't relate to it in any regard. Right. right. Um, maybe we should give listeners insight as to what it is because I feel like sure. if you know what it is, you do, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. kind of a niche. Little yeah, thing. it's like a weird. So it looks like Hogwarts. It's weird. Um, <laughs> it looks like Hogwarts or like. Um, it's kind of just a, a, yeah. Okay, where is it even? So it's it's just outside of Detroit in Bloomfield Hills. Okay, uh, geographically, it's like um, ten miles away from Detroit. Oh, weird! And I thought it seemed like in the middle of nowhere. Socioeconomically, it's like a million miles away. Okay, it's in a very affluent suburb. Um, Mm-hmm. And it's this kind of sprawling campus. It's 10. At the time, there were 10. Now there are 11 departments at mm-hmm. Cranbrook. Each department has a single artist in residence who's in charge of that department. There aren't professors. Oh, what? No. What? So each department has its artist in residence. Okay. Who is, and each department acts as its own kind of independent kingdom. Okay. And there are no classes. Um, mm-hmm. everything's just studio work and crits, and then each department kind of has different things. Um, so those artists in residence, is it kind of like, because from jewelry, I know Iris Eichenberg has yeah. been there a really long yeah. time, um, who is highly regarded in the field, yeah. both in America and yeah. internationally. Yep. So is that like tenured? Like, how do you just keep that job? I think it's contracted, mm-hmm. not tenured, whatever difference that makes. I don't know. But um, it's a very good job to have. It yeah. usually comes with housing on campus, which wow. is the campus is this beautiful modernist uh, elegy okay. to kind of mid-century design. The whole campus was designed by Eliel Saarinen, Hero Saarinen's father. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so and it's only graduate students. So it's about 150 students. It's only grad, graduate students. and um, That's crazy. It's yeah. so much smaller than I thought, too. Yeah, it's very small. So it's about 70, 75 people in a class. It sounds very conceptual. It's highly conceptual. How yeah. do you go from undergrad blacksmithing, which I associate with actual, like, everyday functional right. work, Right. You know, like even jewelry yeah. is a luxury, but blacksmithing is something that you actually need in your life to make things. And, you know, back in the day, yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We've now it's like a little bit of a luxury sure. in a lot of sure, ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, when did Cranbrook get on your radar? Because it seems like you're working for this guy, learning the ins and outs of yeah. the actual business. And I was. Um, but I was at the un- end of undergrad. Yeah. And for. At the time, I was 22. Yeah. And I had kind of a great skill set for a 22-year-old. Because Dale yeah. also, at, in my undergrad, you had to take jewelry, production casting, large-scale casting. You had mm-hmm. to take a legitimate welding class, mm-hmm. like at a at a Votech school. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, 
we had sheet metal raising and forming and then a straight up like fabrication class mm. in addition to blacksmithing. Yeah. Um, so I came out like I could raise a little, I could solder stuff, I could do casting. I came out with this broad base of skills. Mm -hmm. So I felt great about my skill set as a 22 year old. Yeah. You know, like let's, <laughs> for a 22 year old, I had a pretty good skill set. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know what the hell was going on in contemporary art. Yeah. Like I had no clue. I would see these things in magazines or read about these things and just be like, I don't even, I don't know if I like this or not. I don't even know what's going on. Yeah. And I was just like, I need an education in like. In that. Contemporary design, contemporary art. Yeah. And because like, like I said, I felt good with materials. Yeah. Like I wasn't, I was 22. So yeah. it wasn't great, but I was okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's good but, to have perspective. Yeah, I yeah. was okay. Um, but I didn't know what the hell was going on, mm -hmm. you know, in a contemporary way, either in design or art. And so I went to, to grad school. Who turned you on to Cranbrook, though? Uh, so at the time, they oh, were very... right by where you grew up. Sorry. It, it is, but I didn't know, I didn't even know there was a graduate school there. Oh, Okay. There's an art, in, there, excuse me, there's a science institute there that I would go to like third grade field trips on. Okay. But I had no, nobody in Detroit, no, well now it's changed, but yeah. at the time nobody in Detroit really knew there was a graduate school of like conceptual art. Yeah. You know, 10 miles north of the city or 12 miles north of the city. Um, so at the time, you had very limited options if you wanted to pursue blacksmithing um, for grad school. Yeah. There was basically Carbondale. Mm -hmm. uh, there was Cranbrook, where just prior... So I was... Gar so Iris came in the year after I left. Okay. So Gary Griffin was the uh, head of the department when I applied, and he had a background in fabrication and machining and blacksmithing. Um Oh, so there's not like a separate blacksmithing area at Cranbrook. It's like Iris is running all the metals? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Good to know. Yes, yes. Um, and each department kind of changes with... The resident. The resident. So it's really oh. directed by whoever's running that program. Mm -hmm. um, so, and then I also applied to Arizona State because there was a guy there named Dave Pimitel, hmm. who my... Uh, my undergrad teacher had gone to grad school there yeah and that was a deal where if if you went there you could kind of there was a spot out back you could blacksmith if you wanted to <laughs> yeah One and those, those were th that was kind of the options and so i was looking around i applied to carbondale at the time it was a free ride if you got it mm -hmm. i didn't get it it was pretty competitive it was then, very sure. competitive then yeah free and, ride. Uh, yeah it was a free ride um at the time and then cranbrook and I got in in Cranbrook and largely because I'd worked for Scott and yeah. had that experience and then just kind of went from there. So I ended up working for Gary, my uh, teacher, while I was in school there for just over two years. See, that's so interesting because my perception of that, when, you, when I first learned that you went to Cranbrook and it's interesting, I think we can very much so relate to at Penland, I was like, I feel good with material and whatever. But I right. was like, but I don't know about that conceptual right. stuff y'all right. doing. Um, and so when I, I 
know about Crembrook, and I think my perception of it or what it is is completely kind of askew, <laughs> wrong actually. Because everything you just to told do. me, I was like, yeah. wow. Yeah. But I would assume that it was something where you're like, okay, I'm going to go to Cranbrook. I'm going to try to get into it. But it more so seems like, well, I didn't get into Carbondale, and I don't really want to do that, and there's not that many options. Well, I never actually got a rejection from Carbondale. Yeah. I just didn't hear back. Didn't get an acceptance. And, yeah, oh, I just never burn. heard back. And so I was kind of like, okay, well, I guess I'm not doing that. Yeah. I mean, I was 22 also. Yeah. So like it, I'm sitting here in front of a microphone at 37, and it's like, well, I had everything figured out. And so I thought everything through. <laughs> no, and everything's is, a shit no, show No, but I, age, in yeah. reality, I was just kind of like, ah, I don't know. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I'll do this. I'll try this, you know. And um, What was the price tag like then? So this is what's interesting. Everybody points to Cranbrook as being really expensive. They do. And I don't really know what that's based on. Oh, um, okay. And I would have to look at the contemporary numbers, but... The initial packet I got sent by Cranbrook mm-hmm. had a price tag of $28,000 per uh, year. A year. How many years is the program? Two. That's not bad. Yeah. I'm sure it's gone up since. You okay, know, well, I graduated in 06. Okay. So, yeah. Um, but then I looked at their breakdown of that number, mm-hmm. and most of it was made up. Like, so it was $28,000, and they, they put... $6,000 down for housing and $3,000 down for travel. And there were all these other costs that they were like, well, you're probably going to have these costs as well. And oh, so like you the didn't necessarily pay that no, number. No, no, no. Oh. So what ended, so I ended up, my price tag for two years at Cranbrook ended up being $37,000. What? Yeah. That's cheap. Yeah. I got a little scholarship. Yeah. I, uh, at the time, out of the blue, I got a check from the state of Michigan for $1,000. They had a program at the time where they were trying to keep grad students in the state. Okay. And so they would just, I didn't apply. I didn't do anything. <laughs> you still don't I just got, why it. You got I it. I don't know, but it was just like, I'm not going to question anything. I'm just going to cash this. <laughs> so they had a program. So that took $2,000 off right there because yeah. I got it both years without doing Questioning. anything. Um, so yeah, it was thirty-seven. 000. Interesting. Yeah, I'll have to. I mean, I I'm sure I'll have somebody on the podcast in the future who went to grad school at Cranbrook. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Since then, a little later, and I'm sure it's gone up. I'll be but really also, interested. but that sounds think, way cheaper than what I've heard about RISD. Well, yeah, and yeah. also like it depends. So it's a two-year program, so you might have a lower yearly cost at another institution, but over three years, it might end up being more. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's okay. So. That's a thing. You know, because some programs are, are three and some are two. So but did you like that alternative kind of programming? I like it. I liked it more and more after it was done. <laughs> it's very intensive. Yeah. So there's no, it's very competitive in a. in a, Oh, within, while you're there. Yeah. Oh, But God. not in like a, a cutthroat way. Just like. A, it's uh, not the Hunger Games of contemporary It's not the art. Hunger Games. It's just like everybody is trying to be their effing best at every moment. You know, it's just like. Sounds like the Penland Core Fellowship. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but with, you know, 150, 40 more people. You know? Oh, yeah. OK. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, it was really competitive, uh, which I think was good. And it was yeah. really intensive. It was really intensive. The crits are. 
they're not brutal. They're not nobody's going out of their way to be harsh. Yeah. But they're intensive. You know, so you do end up, you feel raked over the coals. Yeah. As you're trying to figure out what it is you're trying to do. Um, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. the point of a good critique, right? Yeah, I bit? think so. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't like when I hear people say things like if you're not crying at a critique, it's not a critique. I'm like, I don't know about that, man. Well, also I, I so now at wherever I'm at right now, like mm-hmm. I'm actually not convinced crits crits are kind of the default of arts education. Mm-hmm. I'm not really convinced they're the best way to produce working artists. Oh. I think discussions are yeah. a better way. Yeah. Um, but obviously you also need a critical dialogue. You do. So, but I don't know, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Good point right there. Yeah. So then, um, yeah. you graduated, did you take out a lot of loans? So I took out, uh, 18.5 okay. for two years. Are you paid them off? I have. Of course, because you said earlier you don't spend a lot of money. I don't. <laughs> Can you teach <laughs> me your ways? Uh, the jeans I'm wearing are two and a half years old. This is my nice <laughs> shirt, and it's two years old. Okay, never um, mind. That's not going to work for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, I get that. Recently, Marianne was like, dude, it's time for you to get new clothes. <laughs> you have like, to. Right, right. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I save a lot of money and also, like, I hated being in debt. And yeah. so um, I cleared the loans and I got health insurance instead, which tells you everything you need, need to know about the state of higher ed loans. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, then you so, graduate. Yep. And I'm 24. Oh, you're 24. I'm That's tw- a good I graduate. Year. I'm 24. I have no real clue what you're doing where i should be going or what i should be doing i'm applying for every teaching position that i am not qualified for on the planet but also didn't you want to get the hell out of michigan you've been there the whole oh, time man sarah yeah i out. love michigan oh you love michigan it is amazing it is so beautiful i've actually so never wonderful. been to michigan oh my god I know. You know what? Actually, to the whole audience that's listening, mm-hmm. it's terrible. Don't go. Stay out. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Just stay away. Detroit, it's terrible. All kinds of bad things. That's what people say just, when they don't want you to come. Yeah, they get more expensive yeah. No, no, it's bad news. Stay okay, out. Okay. Right. Um, no, it's gorgeous. Yeah. If I could make a, li- if I felt like I could make a living in in Michigan, I'd, I'd still You'd be there. You go back. Yeah. Good to know. But um, so I'm in Michigan, and I graduate from Cranbrook. And I immediately apply for and managed to get um, the metal tech position at Oxbow School of Art. Oh, so I ro- cool. I finished working for Gary on a uh, on a Wednesday, and I showed up at Oxbow on a Friday. Whoa, that's wild! You don't miss yeah. a beat. No, and I should. So for five, there was a five year period of my life where the longest time I went without doing metal work was two days. See, and so, that really speaks to the fact of you just honing your craft. Like, it's through a job, so you're obsessed. getting paid. Yeah. yeah. yeah but, yeah. like, I would, so Christmas break would hit. Mm-hmm. I'd get out of school on a Thursday. I'd be at Scott's to work on a Friday. Okay. Like, I would, the next morning, I would be at Scott's to work. Yeah. For any time that he had. 
mm-hmm. and then I just kept rolling. Like I loved it, and I was completely obsessed. That's cool. Um, I wish I would have been more obsessed with production of things like that, but I was more I, so. It's just, just you know where I was at the time. Smoking weed, listen to music. <laughs> yeah, <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! Yeah, I was talking to yeah. Anyway, productive. Uh, yeah, <laughs> moving but, on. Moving on. Um, but uh, oh, and also, I was having a great time too. Like I went to Penland. You know, Scott oh, took yeah. me to Penland as an assistant. Oh, cool. When I was twenty. Oh, so damn, that's, that's how a, I got to go. That's a cool I didn't time know to go Penland there. existed. Yeah. Uh, I. Th- this is pre-internet. Yeah. So I, I just went. I'd never. I had no idea what I was going to. Yeah. No clue. Cool. And Scott was just like, "Oh yeah, I'm teaching this summer. Hey, you should come with me. You, you could be, be my assistant." assistant. Yeah. He was like, "Yeah, it's amazing. You just you forge all day, and they make you all the food and." He was like, damn, dude, you might even meet a girl if you're lucky. <laughs> and so I was like, uh, sold. Um, yeah. Turns out I did meet the girl. Oh, is that when you later. met the girl? No. no a few years later. A few years later. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I got to do that. Uh, I met Lisbeth Brim through that. I yeah. got to be her assistant at Haystack. Oh, because a couple you made years a good later. impression on her and kept in touch? Well, I was just, I mean, how can you? She's great. Oh, you yeah. Know? I love like, Brim. Hey, I'm Brim. Her, yeah. Like, yeah. Hey, Elizabeth. Like, mm-hmm. I rolled up to the Iron Studio. She was covering for the uh, the studio manager at the time. Yeah. She was covering. She was like, can you help me take some scrap down to my shop? And I was like, yeah, of course. I threw all the scrap down and, you know, into her truck. And then I get it. I have no idea where I am at this point. I'm like, <laughs> I'm in North Carolina. I had to use a a. a book of maps to yeah, get there to get there like this is all and i get into the truck i don't really know who lisbeth is and mm-hmm. i'm like all right let's go take your scrap and she's got this braid and these pearls and she's got this lovely georgia accent mm-hmm. i get into her truck and it starts bumping <laughs> and she looks over at me and she's like do you like that two-pack i love two-pack and i was just like where am i <laughs> i want to hang out with you all the time so she is yeah. mesmerizing she's great i love her and then her. you know and this is again this is pre smartphones yeah i got into cranbrook mm-hmm. and eric reeser who's another metal worker, i know that guy he was at cranbrook when i was visiting and he was like hey man lisbeth's trying to get a hold of you you should give her a call and i was like oh really she doesn't have my new number because I was renting an apartment. Oh. And so I like called her from like the lobby of a Cranbrook building. And she was like, yeah, I want you to be my assistant at Haystack. So I did. That is. And I got to go to Haystack. You know, it's so funny. Just, I got, look, I feel like I am the luckiest person on the planet. If I died yeah. right now, I got all the, the luck that you can get. But like, you were a hard these. worker and ready to go. I was, but I also just effing lucked out. It's true. There it's are a some people that. who work hard, but like I just met these people at the right time mm-hmm. and just lucked out. Yeah. And how giving they were. Yeah. You know, like if nothing else, just how much they gave. So is Scott like your Sarah Lurcher? Like, is he a part of your life still? You guys close yeah. still? Yeah. We still talk. You know, yeah. it's been about 12 years since I worked for him last. Mm-hmm. Um, but we still talk. We're still in touch. Gary, I worked for. Um, he retired yeah. uh, after I graduated. Um, we're not in touch as much. Um, yeah. But Dale, I still talk to 
once or twice a year, I'll give him a call and see what's up. Um, yeah, because my mentor. Steve Yusko is somebody that I also would, oh. I assisted at Haystack. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah. funny. I met um, him. So I've tried to keep in touch with everybody that yeah. I met. And I was at Cranbrook and somebody had a question, had seen a piece of Elizabeth's. Yeah. And was like, God, I wonder how she made that. And I was like, oh, um, let's call her. And they were like, what? And I was like, let's <laughs> let's call her. She'll she'll yeah, she'll talk to us. And she and this person was like, I'm so jealous of your <laughs> goddamn network. And I was like, oh my god, I have a network. That's what that I is. I had no idea. I thought it was just friends. Yeah. Oh, cool. Um well, I think if you yeah. try too hard and you think of it as trying to network, right, then it doesn't work. I was just so happy to. I just yeah. love people and I love hanging out. And it's interesting too. I think some people have started to approach me about that. It's like, how do you network? Yeah. Like, how do you keep in co- contact? And I was like, I don't know. I just like to have a good time, talk to people, I, follow And I'll up. say like one of, I learned a lot from Scott. One of the things I learned was whenever you get a chance, see your friends. Yeah. Like if you have to drive two hours, if if they're only in town for a, a couple of days, mm-hmm. whenever you have a chance, see your friends. Yeah. You don't know how long they're going to be there. You don't know when the next chance is going to be. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's a great way to network, but that kind of became the de facto yeah. way I went about things. So Yeah, I think that's yeah. good advice. So um, Cranbrook, and you finish. I finished. I go to Oxbow as the... The summer tech. tech. How'd that job go? Oh my God, it's so much work. It was amazing. <laughs> it was an amazing place. It was wonderful. Yeah. And uh, I did it for two years. Um, and, and if you uh, aren't familiar with Oxbow, it's in the realm of like other craft schools. Yeah. It's very similar in terms of its format, yeah, but it's summertime. much more of like a arts. A little uh, bit more conceptually yes, focused. Yeah. It's much more focused on the fine arts in a big yeah. way. I mean, craft school's not in the name for a reason. Yes. Yeah. It started out as a school of painting. Oh, weird. In the uh, 1910s. Okay. So, 19-teens. And so. you've kept a relationship with them. Yes. So I was the tech there for two years, mm-hmm. uh, which was an, uh, just an amazing experience. Yeah. Absolutely. But that's only summertime, right? It's only during the summer. Yeah. Uh, they, my second year, they started a fall residency. Okay. And shortly thereafter, they started a winter term, mm-hmm. which I think is two weeks in January. I've never been to it. It's cool. yeah. seems cool though. Yeah. But uh, so I taught the second. I taught a class the second year I was the tech, mm-hmm. and then I taught for the twelve summers thereafter. Damn. Yeah. I feel like I had a conversation with you last year where you were like, yeah, I'm not teaching there because I need yeah. a break. Like, yeah. It's been my and life. it's not just a break from Oxbow. This coming summer is the first summer since I was 25 that I'm not teaching a class at a craft, at school, a, or at a craft school of some kind or yeah, summer school yeah dang good for you I just needed a I just needed a, a little time well yeah. yeah I mean I think anything yeah you gonna go on a real vacation no yeah okay well <laughs> <laughs> did you not hear the part about yeah no i just like that's dumb yeah. okay i get it we yeah. went on a vacation last year i told marianne in six <laughs> years we can take another vacation no. we're gonna try to we're we're planning something yeah in yeah. place of two weeks cool i love to teach i really love to teach I i'm feel like- gonna 100 percent miss yeah doing it this summer 
but I teach 16 hours a day. I don't know any other way to do it. I'm yeah. in the studio first and I'm the last one to leave. Yeah. I don't know any other way to do it. I don't know any of the trails at Penland. Oh, I you don't just know any so you of don't the go stuff. there and have a good time. No, I'm there for the shop. Yeah, I'm it's like, true. The only time I actually ever remember hanging out with you is when we would play badminton. Yes, badminton which, is um, awesome. I don't really want to talk about it with you, but I'm a little competitive. Um, we don't have to get into it. It's I mean, fun. I'm really competitive too. <laughs> I do want to say, you know, badminton is not my strong point, but right. I would slay you at ping pong. I believe that to be true. Yeah, I'm yeah. undefeated. One hundred percent. Many, yeah, yeah realms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. I've never yeah. beat Mike, and I'm still pissed yeah. about it. But Marianne will always be like, "Oh, you know that trail at Penland, or you know that other spot at Penland," and I'm like, "No, nope." Yeah. But I could walk the Iron Studio blindfolded. <laughs> You're like, I know every nook and cranny. I of do. It. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that I know speaks to the- Daniel, Daniel Beck. If you're listening, <laughs> I know what you've got hidden. <laughs> I know what's above the office and above the storage room. I know how to get there. <laughs> you know those? Oh man, I really like those um, earplugs y'all got in there. You know, uh-huh. the yeah. the pink ones with the yeah, yellow yeah. down the side. So when I go there, also sorry, Daniel, I just load up. Like I just keep taking them. I'm still, I still have a stash that's yeah. fit it, like serving me. I'm sure I don't know what you're talking about. And I haven't been to Penland since 2015. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, that's real. But I just, yeah, I love to teach. I'd love it, but yeah. I, even, I don't you, even have need to get a break from things. I needed you love. a break, and yeah. I, I don't know any way to do it that's not 80, 90 hours a week. And exhausting. Yeah. Like you come and home and it's exhausting. And, you and I love it and it's fulfilling, but you, it, it really, you get home and, and then the other side is the business side because if yeah. you take two weeks and do something like that, then it takes a minute to get things back on track yeah. for the business. So, yeah. And yeah. I mean, the unfortunate real, reality of that is those experiences, um, are so beneficial in so many ways. Yeah. There are some finances, financial yeah. benefits. Yeah, of yeah, course, yeah. you have to get paid, but it's not, yeah. you're losing money. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. but it's also, real. I was the beneficiary. So, I have taught 18 classes like wow. that. Uh, I have assisted seven others. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a huge, I was the beneficiary in a huge way of. Those those programs, Penland, yeah. Haystack, Oxbow, those types of programs. I was a huge beneficiary. So whenever possible, I'd like to give, give to back. do it, to give back. And especially given that I got so lucky. Like, I could point to seven mentors that I've had. Yeah. Because I just got connections. so lucky with these people. And so yeah. I always want to try to pass that on. I feel the same I way. I got too tired to do it this summer. But, yeah. <laughs> Look at him being all insecure. Um, you're like I love teaching I just can't do it (laughs) so tired so Mike what do you do right now because you make a living you make a living as a blacksmith yes well blacksmith and metal worker do you make swords I rarely no I don't make any (laughs) I don't make any swords Mike have you ever made a sword you know you can buy them right I yeah. love when I meet, um, like I'll be on a date and someone's like, oh, what do you do? I was like, oh, I'm a metalsmith. I make jewelry. Yeah. They're like, oh, sick. Do you make swords? I'm like, no. Yeah. That is yeah, actually yeah, a very yeah. small sect yeah. of the metalsmithing community. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can see it coming a mile away. Yeah. And these know. days I'm just like, let's do it. Let's, 
Let's get it out of the way. You watch Game um, of Thrones. Talk to you me. You watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> Let's talk about Valyrian steel as a stand-in for Damascus. <laughs> I love this so much. Yep. Um, so what do you do for a living right now? So uh, going back to Dale. Oh, right. Uh, yeah. The, it was this broadly based program. Mm-hmm. So like um, I can do work in not any metal. I can't work with gold. I don't yeah. know. Like, God damn thing about gold. Yeah. But I can work in aluminum, stainless, copper alloys, bronze, brass, um, stainless, monel, iron. So anything that comes through the door at the right place, at the right price, I will take on. Okay. Yeah. And so do you have, do you work for yourself? Do you have your own business? Yes. Oh, you do. Rossi Metal Design. Yeah. Oh. Okay. So that is, how long have you been your sole proprietor it's 2019 seven years okay but i do know from friends that you take on side hustles oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. anything and everything yeah yeah so you've worked for um warren holtzman here in the city yep um i did part-time with warren on and off for two or three years okay which was awesome and he's like architectural he runs a big architectural uh metalwork and fabrication and forging studio um and that was a incredible experience because i was he asked me to come in and just do forging that's cool and that was an amazing experience um and then yeah. you've dabbled in, you did the Philadelphia Museum of Art craft show. I have done a couple of craft shows. They yeah, did, did not work out I did two well, years at Craft or? Boston and one okay. year at the PMA craft show here in Philly. Did yeah. the, were those profitable or what? Uh, the first year I did Craft Boston, it was pretty good. Oh, nice. Yeah. And which is why I went back for the second year. I yeah. also won an award uh, the first year at Craft Boston that gave me a free booth. Oh, that's the following nice. year. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. Um, so I did that one twice. Uh, I did the PMA show once. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second time I did the PMA and Craft Boston in the same fall. Yeah. And it was a huge loss. Oh, it yeah. ended up costing about $12,000. Oh, God, that hurts. And that, that's a hard cost. That's not a projected like earnings cost. That's yeah. a hard it cost 12 grand in cash. Damn. Um, and I was, you know, the blacksmithing and metalworking um, on a larger scale has a huge overhead in comparison to a lot of other things. Yeah. And I just realized I can't make a go of this because mm-hmm. the, the financial relationship and craft shows is you make a bunch of product and then you get paid for it. Yeah. The financial relationship and commission work is you have a conversation, you get paid, you make the stuff, and then you get your final payment. Yeah. You get that and deposit I to just, keep you going. I just realized like this is the overhead is so high yeah. for blacksmithing. So just for comparison, and this will probably lead into some of the conversation about the symposium and broader yeah. stuff, but like I have a very small blacksmithing metalworking studio. Yeah, you're in West Philly, right? I'm in West Philly. I've got 1,200 square feet. You share it? I uh, 400 square feet um, is separate that I, I sublet to another smith who's working for John Race, who's another oh. blacksmith in town, who's okay. also a 
uh, co-organizer of the symposium. Oh, all connected. So I've got his uh, worker in there doing spec spec work. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a very small blacksmithing metalworking studio. Yeah. And I have $30,000 worth of equipment in there. Damn. So if you compare that to everything but glass, yeah. That's a very that's a really high overhead. It is, yeah. So for $10,000 in jewelry or ceramics, let's say, just just as an example, mm-hmm. you could be well on your way to having a pretty decent studio. Yeah. set up. I have a very small studio. Yeah. At thirty thousand dollars, so the overhead cost of equipment and consumables and everything else is so great that I just can't participate in the financial relationship of craft shows. Yeah, that makes um, sense to me. And I got really good feedback from those. Mm-hmm. I won best in show for medals at Craft Boston the second year that I did it. That's amazing. It felt great. Yeah. But it did not translate to financial sales. Yeah. Um, and and that's it, it. was it like bigger pieces you had there? or there? So I think if you're going to succeed at the craft shows, you need to have a range of, of price, price points. points. Yeah. yeah. I can't tell you how many people walked into my booth. Right. It was like, do you have anything for like $25? Right. Like, right. actually, I thought of you and yeah. I knew you would be here. So, yes, yeah, I do. Yeah. I had a range in my work of $2,000 to $6,000. That is a hard sell right off the bat. And it's large and it's furniture. Mm -hmm. And the type of craft collector that maybe in the late 90s or early 2000s would have gone to those shows and maybe picked up some of those pieces. Yeah. I don't know that there's the same. I know they're still out there, but I don't know that there's the same critical mass of people kind of buying that work. Yeah. Um, so a lot of furniture makers I've talked to and furniture scale makers have kind of seen a downtick. Yeah, in it's hard. the craft show market. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also just the fucking work. <laughs> like, oh, I, I know it was a lot of work for you to set up your booth. I'm not, to anybody who's listening who does craft shows, <laughs> I am not in any way trying to disparage the amount of time and effort it takes you. <laughs> Yeah. But my lightest piece weighs 30 pounds. Dude, and it has I to be that. hung on a on a effing wall, a real wall. So like <laughs> I just remember being at Craft Boston and seeing jewelers roll in with a roll case. Oh yeah. And being set up in 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And it took me 3 hours at the end of which I'm like sweating and out of breath and I've been wearing gloves because my sweat can't get on my pieces, you know. <laughs> It's just like, this is so much work. And yeah, yeah, I had a glass artist next to me, and I was like, you know, yeah. I roll in a few hours after he's been there, yeah. and I roll out. Yeah. And he was just like, yeah. screw you. And I was yeah, like, I yeah. know, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm already done. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. Like, my yeah. carry on can cut, like, hold all my inventory. Right. Yeah. Whereas I had to rent a extra large cargo van for the PMA. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, to drive six miles from yeah. my shop. So Yeah, that's real. Yeah. Um so and then, but also the other person you work for that is like really amazing is Randy Palumbo. Yeah. So for about two years uh now, uh, I've been working so we should I don't know how 
I should back up. <laughs> I worked in Philly for a furniture company that shall go unnamed. Okay. Um, it's a luxury furniture company. Their production is based in Philly, and all the sales are through a showroom in New York. Mm-hmm. It's very high-end, very luxury furniture. I think I've been in that showroom. I think you probably have. Yeah. They have a lot of turnover mm-hmm. uh, in their production staff here in Philly. I worked there for two years through the recession because yeah. we moved. Marianne, Marianne and I moved here in 2010. Okay. And so it took about two years for the recession to kind of shake out. Yeah. Um, I worked there for two years. It was not a good experience financially mm-hmm. or otherwise. Although financially, I was better off than a lot of people at the company. Um, But I learned a little bit about the New York market doing that. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of had enough of that that environment. Yeah. Um, And I really want to be clear that it wasn't the pay that made me leave. Okay. So I'll just say that, kind of leave it there. But um, the pay is not the reason that I left that job. Yeah. But I left and I was like, okay, I'm just going to go out on my own. And John Sharon, who's been a friend of mine for ages mm-hmm. back at Penland, um, he had started working for this guy, Randy, I, in New York. Mm-hmm. And he said in 2011, I think this one, or 2012, I quit my day job. I had enough money saved up uh, to live for six months. Yeah. I said, I'm just going to see what happens. So I'm out on my own for like two months and then John, or two weeks, excuse me, two weeks. I was weeks. like, wow, two months for you seems no, no, like no. a lot. <laughs> two weeks, I'm out on my own and John calls me and is like, hey, I've been working for this guy. There might be some work. I think we might have two weeks of work for you. I said, great. I went up to New York. I met this person, Randy. Uh, I started to work on this job. Two weeks turned into 18 months Yeah. on this, um, on this job. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and so over the last seven or eight years, I've worked for Randy on and off kind of here and there. And then for the last two years, he's had a, a series of kind of large scale art projects that he's been producing. Yeah. And John works for him full time. Mm-hmm. I come in as an independent contractor. I was to, to 1099. Jobs. Yep. Holla. And uh, Adam Whitney, other uh, esteemed metalsmith, has, mm-hmm. has worked on a lot of those projects as well over the last two years. Um, and... <laughs> That's been, other than a couple of other small jobs here and there, that's been the majority of my business over the last two years. Yeah. yeah. And I was fortunate enough to come up there and Adam was working. He's like, hey, right. you want to come see this place I'm working at? Because it's crazy. And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's like a playground. It is. For adults. Yeah. If you don't know Randy Palumbo's work, I had never heard of him. But, yeah. you know, he's pretty famous in a lot of ways. He's... It's like he's made it into the books. Like yeah. there's definitely he's not as well known as some other artists, but like he's gonna be in whatever history book gets written about this time. In yeah, because fifty years exactly. Because yeah. uh, you'll see a piece, and I've seen people like tag him that I know, and I'm like, wait yeah. a minute, why does that look familiar? And I was like, oh, that's yeah. Randy Palumbo's work. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and his workshop, like his studio or whatever you would call it, is just yeah. like has like a school bus inside of it that you climb it's up into? It's a GMC into? caravan. Okay. And it has been lifted over the kitchen it's so that so you cool. go up the spiral staircase into this kind of lounge inside a, a GMC caravan. Yeah, everything. His yeah. imagination just blows my mind. Like, everything is really yeah. not whimsical. Like, what would you describe it? It's just fun. 
it's kind of it's <laughs> playground it's for adults. playful i think yeah. in a way it's also like um this kind of biomorphic architectural mm-hmm. also reuse of old materials Material. and old kind of things and also this kind of interest in like organic kind of and sexual like, things and yeah. so yeah <laughs> yeah and know. it feels like he creates environments like he strives yes. to create a full environment exactly so i would say that, that so randy has a, a business in new york mm-hmm. doing renovations and construction of um apartments and and houses yeah on kind of the higher end of things yeah, uh, yeah. on the more luxury side of things and um so he's got this background as like a contractor and interior designer at mm-hmm. a very high level. And so when it comes to his own work, I think more often than not, we end up constructing an environment, a kind of architectural environment of some kind. Yeah. Um, he's wonderful to work for. That's good. Uh, the, I mean, the obviously projects people... are, are large. The, the timelines are tight. It's taking you um, interesting places. I got to go to Tasmania for a month to install one of his pieces That's at the cool. most amazing museum I've ever been in in my life. Yeah. It's called the Museum of Old and New Art in Tasmania. Mona in Tasmania. Look it up. Go there. Adam showed not, me a lot of pictures. I was like, wow. You will not what? regret it. It is. Yeah. It was incredible. Yeah. Um, I met James Terrell. Like, okay. Uh, yeah. It, I mean, it Look was. Look at your pretty life. <laughs> Yeah. So when you do things great. like that, everything's paid for, I'm assuming. It's like a fully paid experience because he's has to fly more, you out there. More or less. In that yeah. case, the museum was covering the cost of our labor, if oh, I remember correctly, wow. cool. as part of the kind of installation costs. So this yeah. museum has lots of large-scale installations. Mm. And so they they were kind of used to having like a crew roll in and have to work for a month. Yeah. So, um, so they gave us housing. They give it, you know, we got meal tickets for this insanely bougie kind of museum cafe <laughs> that we had most of our meals at. So wow, yeah. okay, yeah. Um, so so you're you have your own business. You're doing your I, thing. I want to say I'm. I just want to say like, what's up? I don't go to Tasmania every week. <laughs> Like, no, that was like a be, once in a lifetime yeah, opportunity. Yeah. I just want to make the point that that's like, why I brought it up. I that's take incredible. Any, it was incredible, yeah. and I'm so grateful yeah. to have been a part of that. Especially to work with Adam, Whitney, and John Sharon, two yeah. friends of mine that I respect. That we work together on a scale that I have never experienced with anyone else. We are mm-hmm. like speaking the same language. You turn around and somebody is handing you the tool that you didn't know you were going to ask for. Yeah, kind of stuff. I just want to be really clear, like, I run a business. I take every job that comes through the door. Yeah. I don't always take pictures of yeah. the jobs because they may not be interesting. But anything that comes through the door at the right budget, I'm, I take on immediately. I yeah. can't afford to do otherwise. So I just want to be really clear that, like, <laughs> I have been super lucky. Mike, you don't sound like an asshole. I, I just know, want, but you I know, just... It's my like, job to talk about the coolest right, things right. about your career. But, I get that. Hey, but we I can t- talk about that fire and you're you like, made. If you're a student and you're listening to this and you're like, how do you get that gig? Let me assure you, there are a ton of just, like, welded tube jobs <laughs> that are just, like, come and go. That yeah. I don't talk about because they're not interesting. Lots but they're there. 
they're there. Yeah. It's just not, it's not as exciting. So yeah. many rails. So it's all kinds of stuff that's yeah. not fun, but pays the bills, buys the groceries, like, etc. So <laughs> thank you for clarifying. I just want to be really clear that like, I've been super lucky in a couple of ways, but I still, I, I'm not in a position where I can turn down anything. So. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. I mean, I do like that. It gives yeah. good insight because yeah. I mean, I think the basis of this podcast is that we're all putting our pretty life right. on Instagram and exactly. I'm just like, hey, exactly. yeah, you yeah. were in Tasmania, but also, you know, you came back and the next week you're like yeah. making some other mundane Instagram, object. whatever, Instagram is the top 40 hits. Yeah. It's not like the, the, the grinding deal. it out in the clubs yeah. that you don't hear about. Like, yeah, yeah, that's good to know. Yeah. Yeah. So I just want to be clear about that. Like, <laughs> Stop yeah. it, Mike. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah. So how is your business going though? Like, how do you feel about it? Uh, Do you feel secure? I feel relatively secure. Yeah. Uh, as you may have heard. <laughs> You're a workaholic. Uh, I am not socially conservative. Yeah. Uh, I know I am not fiscally conservative in a political sense. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to my own finances, I am ridiculously conservative. So yeah, I feel good. Marianne and I have saved up uh, some money that we feel good about um i feel relatively secure Mm -hmm. but the the truth of the matter is i run my own business if i don't do the work i don't get paid yeah if i don't if i don't work this week Mm -hmm. in six weeks i can't buy groceries yeah like that's that's the reality so um i feel good yeah and also like i need to continue you have to to keep going yeah yeah so you have your business you run, you have your artistic practice, because you keep yes. that going. Yes, although uh, for about a year and a half, uh, due to the projects I was working on, yeah. I was working about 70 or 80 hours a week Yeah, for other, other people's work. Mm-hmm. And I just found I did not, yeah, my studio practice just was fallow. Yeah, for about well, a year and a half. Yeah. I don't think it's realistic. I'm struggling right now. No, and it you was just impossible. Like I couldn't work eighty hours and then go into the shop. I would go into the. I would go into my studio and I would just like sweep. Yeah. And stare at the wall, and then be like, "God, I'm tired," and mm-hmm. go home. Like, yeah. Um, and that's the reality of it. In the last six months, I've really gotten back into the studio. Oh, that's and, exciting. Yeah. yeah. Do you find that you need something like an exhibition coming up or something like that to kind of motivate you to get going? Or do you just truly find comfort into being in there and like making things happen? I think having an exhibition is always a great motivator. motivator. <laughs> yeah. Just of because it gives you a deadline so you can't noodle around. It's too like paying much. rent. It's a great motivator yeah, for working. Exactly. Yeah. But on the other hand, like, I mean, the reason I go into the studio, even if I'm just making scrap metal that I end up hating, yeah, is just to keep that muscle. Yeah. Flex that muscle. What am I doing with this metaphor? Yeah. But uh, I'm just trying to keep that thing going. So even Mm -hmm. if I just go into the studio and fuck up a piece of metal and burn it up and toss it in the scrap pile, at least I'm doing something. Um, even if it's not for an exhibit. So, yeah, I feel yeah. you. I went into my studio the other day and I just like cleaned my bench, yeah. organized some things, moved some things around. That's really all I had the time for. And then yeah. I left. Yeah. And, uh, 
I had a studio visit. Oh, I had a yeah. studio visit come the last week, and I was like, they're like, introduce yourself. And I was like, I have to be honest with you guys. I have actually have not made anything in right, here in right. a long time. Right. And, you know, that's good. I think it's like a realistic aspect of being an artist that ebbs yeah. and flows. And yeah. also, like, for me, there was this, I was really feeling like maybe I'm not an artist anymore. Maybe I'm done. Yeah. Like, maybe I'm just a businessman. And, like, the but skills I've accrued, of- like, kind of just allow me to have a business and that's great and that's where it ends and then i started working 40 hours a week again mm-hmm. instead of 80 and yeah. i was like oh look at me i i still like this you know it was like oh what do you know when i have a little bit more time i you can get in there and do i that. still like metalworking i still like forging i still like making mistakes so yeah yeah i always still like making mistakes that's a good way to yeah. like say it too but also too you know, you're always an artist because you're making a yeah. living as an artist. Yeah. You know, with the business edge. Kind of. It doesn't always feel like that. Yeah. But no, you're right. I, I get yeah. you. Yeah. I'm here yeah. to tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so outside of that, Mike, because you have so much time and uh, are lazy, you decided right. to take on another project because. Right. Yeah. I thought to myself. You what don't. am I going to do with these two hours a week that I've got free? <laughs> um, so talk to me. Yeah. What have you been working on the past, I don't know, how long does it take to put together a symposium? About two years. Really? Yeah. Damn. Yeah, about uh, just under two years. I'd say probably like, uh, yeah, probably like 20 months. How does somebody who runs a business come to find themselves planning a symposium? So... Uh, I'm really good friends with John Race and Warren Holtzman, who are mm-hmm. also blacksmiths and metal workers based in Philadelphia. In Philly, okay. And we meet up, we were meeting up about once a month at least to just have drinks and... Talk shop. Talk shop, bitch about the industry. And <laughs> I love that kind of stuff. Complain about our clients or whoever. And support group. Support group. But we were also we would get into these long intensive arguments and discussions about the state of contemporary blacksmithing metal work. Okay. And like to the degree that we were, we were nearly asked to leave a number of restaurants <laughs> because we're very passionate people. And so. And loud. We're very loud. Very loud very, people. We're passionate. We're all very passionate. <laughs> um, and so we were just having these kind of like, so we were friends and we don't always agree with each other which is good which is great and we would have these big arguments about the state of the field or you know uh somebody's work we really liked or Mm -hmm. didn't like and why or you know somebody we thought had made a misstep and why or ourselves you know like what the fuck am i doing and why and um warren came in one day and he was like you know guys we talk about this all the time. I think we really got to put our money where our mouth is and just organize something. And so we started talking about putting together a symposium. Mm-hmm. So in the nineties, there had been two iron symposiums at Penland. And then there was an iron symposium at uh, Peter's Valley. And you know, school. I've looked up the definition of symposium cause I always find it yeah. interesting. Technically it's kind of the same as a conference. Basically. Yeah. yeah, but what makes it a symposium? I don't Versus know. Versus a conference? Yeah, what do you, what For do you us, think it is? For us, it's the like, fact that we're not talking about technique and we're not having demos okay. of any type. 
Oh, that's okay. uh, The difference between a symposium and a conference is like um, a focus on um, the conversation and the discussion around a lot of these issues rather than uh, technical or practical kind of uh, concerns that you might see at a conference. Thank you. I like that. That's our guess. I don't know if that's technically right, but that's kind of what we've been doing. I mean, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there had been these symposia, and we decided that we, Warren had a very close relationship with Bryn Athen College, which is just north of Philadelphia, and has this amazing cathedral, an amazing uh, mansion or or home. I've heard about Um, it. Yeah, it's absolutely, the metalwork there is hands down the finest architectural forged metalwork that I've ever seen in my life. And I have looked around. Um, (laughs) It is, bar none, the most incredible collection. Well, what what makes it so amazing? So it's all forged Monel. Monel is an alloy of nickel, copper, and a little bit of iron, but mainly nickel. And it's very difficult to work with. It's super tough. If you've ever yeah. messed around with nickel, it I has mean, a lot I've of also memory. never heard of Manel. Right. So, and I've taken so blacksmithing. It was like a big metal pre stainless steel. It was okay. like the go to put it outdoor metal. Oh, gotcha. Because it's non reactive, it doesn't really oxidize to this, you know, like bronze or brass or copper alloys Which is or key iron. for outside. Right. Or iron, the worst one of all, you yeah. know, for rust. Um, and these days it's used almost exclusively as a lab metal and for uh, deep sea kind of applications. Oh, weird. That's yeah. the next thing I was going to ask yeah. is like, who uses it still then? Basically, labs that need a non reactive, tough as hell alloy. And then. Like Basically underwater like bridge structures kind of things? Bridges and and oil platforms and marine equipment. Wild. Um, because it's very tough and it's very non-reactive. So you can, yeah. So you put it outside and it's not going to rust or tarnish. Um, so it's all this forged Manel, which in, it, in itself is exceptional. There's yeah. no other place in the world that has that much forged Manel. In the rest of the world, it's like, oh, yeah, there's one gate over there or there's a handrail over there or whatever. Um, Why a place near Philadelphia? So the Bryn Athen kind of community was founded by the Pitcairn family, which Mm -hmm. was like a a large industrialist, very wealthy family around the turn of the last century. Okay. uh, That made their money in plate glass primarily. Okay. Um, They founded this community based around the religion Swedenborgian Christianity which I rec- recommend you look up <laughs> never for, heard of it okay it's a very small uh, group um, but he founded this community he built a cathedral okay in a very old world style so all the shops were on site everything was done on site mm-hmm. uh, just f- to build this cathedral as that started kind of ending he turned the shops over to his private home and Glen what Cairn. time so, or like where in history? So this, this whole thing was completed basically between 1906 and okay. let's say like it never really was like stamped completed. Complete. Well, it, things like that yeah. just never get completed. And basically, yeah. so 1906 to to more or less the 1970s. Oh um, wow! Okay. But Warren has this relation with it. He's still completing parts that were either left unfinished or 
temporary things that became permanent that they now want to complete complete or refix. So Warren had this relationship with Bryn Athen College. He had started teaching classes there during the summer. Mm-hmm. And so because of his relationship, we thought we could have this symposia at Bryn Athen that not only would we be able to talk about the Monell there, but also, you know, the future of the craft. All these other things. All these things that we've been arguing and yelling about (laughs) and making jokes about. And we're on this text thread. We text each other constantly throughout the day. Yeah. Um, And sometimes it's just nickel and dime, but a lot of times it's more kind of philosophical argument um, Mm. than like the middle of a Wednesday. And Why not? Why not? And one of the things that was so astounding about the metalwork was it was done in Monell and the Smiths there had no hierarchy of process. So by comparison, there were other Smiths around the same time who were touting the importance of hand-forged work and it has to be done in a certain traditional way. Mm-hmm. As we looked at the metalwork at Bryn Athen, parts are gas welded and ground, there's dye work, there's parts that are machined, there's mm-hmm. parts that are fabricated. It's whatever it took to get the job done, to get the aesthetic result they wanted. And so that was very yeah. inspiring for us uh, because in blacksmithing there has been kind of a, a a more or less kind of continuous thread of um, traditionalism and kind of um, focus on traditional techniques and traditional working in opposition to more contemporary technologies. I mean, I've only yeah. taken a two-month blacksmithing concentration, right. and I got that vibe yeah. immediately. Yeah. 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 And it's one that I'm not particularly psyched about i'm not excited yeah. about that vibe so when we found this stuff being done in 1908 1910 1915 yeah that had no hierarchy of technique was just we'll do whatever get her done get her done yeah um we'll use everything at our disposal for the effect that we want to achieve yeah and so we're really caught up in that and really loved it um and so we started to talk about maybe having the symposium. Yeah. And then it kind of solidified into more of a plan. And then we started budgeting. And then we started telling people we were really going to do it. And then... <laughs> Once you tell people. Yep. And then we invited speakers and panelists. And, you know, yeah. so... Um, so who are the three that have organized it? Is it you, John, and... John, Warren, and I have organized it. Okay. Yeah, start to finish. Wow. It's been about two years. Uh, it's been a tremendous undertaking. Yeah. Uh, Did you we, anticipate it to be that big of an undertaking? Or are you like, oh, God. You know, I think we we knew it was going to be a lot. We didn't know. What all it we, would We be. didn't know how much it was going to get into. But, yeah. you know, we... So we're not backed by any institution. Okay. We're just three people who own businesses who mm-hmm. thought that this was a timely conversation or a timely need to have a group of contemporary metal workers and blacksmiths come together and just discuss the issues of the day. Where are we? The The title of the symposium is Looking Forward. Like, okay. where are we right now and where are we headed? And what do you guys think? Because as much as Warren and John and I argue and, and complain and, and joke with each other about the field, yeah, we don't really know. You know, we don't know how true our perceptions are. Yeah. We're looking at social media and we're looking at what we think other people are doing, but we don't really have a handle on any of this. So at some point we're like, well, we got to reach out and see 
what do you guys think? What's going on? Like, are yeah. we right? You know, and and like, we think this is happening. Is that true, or are we are we just blind? You know, like, so my impression of most metals or blacksmiths, excuse me, metalsmiths are all over social media, girl. Like, yeah. we got that down. Yeah, um, is you you guys kind of tend to be. Like solitary, like solitude. Like I know a lot of blacksmiths, and they're like, I don't have Facebook, I don't have Instagram, I don't. Yeah, yeah it seems like you're a very disconnected community in a lot of ways, and this is just some an outsider looking. Well, in. so in some ways that's true. Certainly on social media, maybe, but yeah. we're also a very small community. Do you guys have sna- like anything like Snag? Because I know a lot of blacksmiths come right. to Snag. There is an organization called Abana, the Artist Blacksmiths of North Association of North America, um, which I've heard of before, but I yeah. don't know how active you are. Like, what so do you guys do? I would say it's very similar to to Snag mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. There's an, a publication that's put out called The Anvil's Ring, oh. um, but over the last few years, there's been a lot of kind of um, discussion and argument about the future of that organization. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to cast aspersions on anybody uh, involved in it. Yeah. Um, but it is something that Warren and John and I have um, just moved away from. Yeah. For whatever reason. Uh, that we just don't feel like it um, is having the kind of conversations that we're most interested in. That's fine. Um, Fair. So we've kind of moved uh, away from it. And we didn't really see anybody taking on... We thought, like, it's time to have a symposium. Like, forget social media. Forget Facebook groups. Like, let's get together. Let's get 80 people in a room and see what people think. Like, let's talk. Let's discuss this. Let's see what happens. Like, That's great. What's the state of the craft? Like, Put your money where your mouth is. Yeah. Like, let's... Come on. So... So... So you're official, like Brynathan, are they charging you to put this? Yes. So we are renting, uh, just so they rent for like summer camps, sports camps and conferences. They rent their facilities. We Mm -hmm. are renting from them. John and Warren and I formed an LLC. Okay. Uh, So you're on paper. We're on paper so that it's a separate, separate organization from our businesses. Okay. So that whatever's done for the symposium is not you know, a part of our, our personal business, mm-hmm. personal finances. Um, we formed an LLC. We opened a bank account. We got event insurance. Um, that's a thing. That's a thing. Um, and we're renting from the college. Is, yeah. is it expensive? It's not bad. Um, is it but, four digits or five? Five digits. So overall, the conference is going to end up costing, <laughs> you know, roughly, God, roughly, I think, $21,000. Okay. Which is not terrible. Five digits. Five digits. Um, and I think we are going to have something like 18500 in income. In from income. The, How much so does it cost to attend? It's $340. Oh. Which co- covers uh, housing and meals. For oh, three so days. when you come, oh wow! When you yeah. come, you're like staying on campus and having yeah. this like immersive experience. Yeah. And then we have another option that's less expensive if you don't want the housing. Yeah, like what if I yeah. just want to come up and like see a talk just so I can like see what's going on? So we don't have any day 
passes like mm. I know Snag does sometimes. Yeah. We don't have any day passes. We just have one option for um, all-inclusive and one yeah. without lodging. Okay. And we didn't even anticipate having to do the one without lodging. You know? Yeah. And at some point we, you know... Uh, People want to come. They're trying to make it yeah. affordable. They're like, I and can also, crash with a buddy. Exactly. I, yeah. Right. But also, we we wanted to encourage people to stay for the whole thing. Because that is like part have, of that. Yeah, yeah. Because we have four uh, featured speakers, and mm-hmm. then we have a seven-person panel discussion mm-hmm. um, that's also going to be involved with the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as important as anything that we have planned is the conversations that happen around it, like at night or after talks or anything else. I think those are usually the most important. Yeah. Yeah. So we really wanted to try to encourage people to be there as much as possible to to have those conversations, to have good arguments, to finish up, you know, a speaker and say, I didn't really agree with what they said, or I did, and here's why. Yeah, that's the point. Yeah. So I feel you on that. Like I'm about to go to snag and I know a lot of people who um, you have to try to make it affordable, you know, right. If it's important that you're there, then you're going to make it work for however right. you can. Right. I've been really lucky in the fact that I have always weaseled my way into some kind of situation where right. I can afford to be in that hotel. Right. Where the conference takes place. Right. I will say the first time I ever attended snag, I didn't know what the hell was going on. Right. And it was in Seattle where I lived yeah. and that experience was far different from any other right. time I've gone and stayed right. at the hotel. Yeah. And even this time, you know, there's a, all my closest friends live all across the country. So now yeah. it feels like a family reunion. Yep. A bunch are getting an Airbnb outside the hotel. Right. But even if I didn't already plan on staying in the hotel, I wouldn't want to do that necessarily because it's a completely different experience. Right. Yeah. Right. It's that conversation you have in the hotel. It's that, a little too drunk at the hotel bar at the end of night yeah. fighting about one some conversation. Big, one of the big things that we can point to, we were all at the snag conference in New Orleans. Yeah. And I ended up in a conversation with John Race and David Clemens and um Well, I've got a microphone in front of my face. And oh it's God. another is it a jeweler? No. Is it a metal sm- no. blacksmith? Oh god. Seth? Nope. No? I don't know. Oh boy. I'm dying. Well, this is going to be embarrassing. Yeah, just let the silence stretch out <laughs> as much as possible. You know, I do love oh David Clemens. He's great. <laughs> wow. Anybody I know? Uh, the director of Haystack. Jesus. Oh, um, Scar- Scazzarelli. God damn. What's Paul Saccharides. Hey, man, I was kind of close. That last name's naughty. If you're ever listening to a podcast and you're like, oh, why can't they think of the name? This is why. <laughs> Also, um, I but we were don't at a table, and, and Paul asked, "You know why? Why hasn't blacksmithing had the same moment that ceramics has?" What does that mean? Well, ceramics is huge. Oh, the it's Antica had this like resurgence. Yeah, oh it's enormous. It's, yeah, you know, it's, it's like ridiculous. Twenty thousand people over five days, or no, like I'm thirty to fifty. Numbers. It's no, it's yeah. bigger than that. It's wild. It's wild. Yeah, and I want to go asking, to Antica next year. You know, and by comparison, blacksmithing in the whole country is maybe. Ten thousand quarter of that, yeah, like maybe, yeah. Um, but he was asking like, why isn't blacksmithing kind of doing that, or why? And there's lots of reasons. Well, it's Um, it's super expensive. 
the overhead's much higher. It's a very uh, intimidating field to try. It's, yeah, it doesn't lend itself to improvisation in the mm-hmm. same way. Same way, it's much more expensive for universities to run. It's physically demanding on you. It can be, although yeah. not as much as people think. Honestly, true. Yeah, you don't really need to. Elizabeth Bridge, like yeah. we ain't got the muscle like men, but we got hips. Yeah, we know how to use them. There's that, and also <laughs> the thing about metalworking is like. In any field, any field in the world, no matter what you're doing, I'm sure it's easier if you're a big, tall person. <laughs> yeah, okay. Like, I'm point, sure it's point. easier. But something about metalworking that I think people should keep in mind is, like, it gets heavy fast. Yeah. So, like, I can move an anvil if I have to. Yeah. But the next size up, you have to get a forklift anyway. Like, there's... Yeah. It moves... <laughs> metalworking moves beyond human capabilities so quickly that it doesn't really matter you're gonna have to get a forklift or a chain fall <laughs> yeah. pretty soon so like you know you can be an olympic weightlifter it's not gonna carry you any further like yeah we you can't do this you're not gonna be able to lift a power hammer you still you need a forklift you need a chain fall you need so, so it's not as much as people think but it's much more intimidating there's sparks there's fire yeah it's also unfamiliar most people play with clay you know even if it's not in any kind of serious artistic way yeah probably going back to their earliest childhood yeah true most people don't pick up a hammer and light a coal forge ever yeah period and light nicole and if they do it's probably around 21 22 like Mm -hmm. it's rare that anybody gets to it earlier than you don't just like fall into it that easily no it's not something you can just kind of pick up Um, Yeah, I agree with you. Just because of access to equipment. So there's lots of reasons, but that conversation certainly led into some of the stuff we're talking about at at the symposium. Yeah. So um, so it's $350. $340. All inclusive. All inclusive. What's that? So that's all your meals and housing Mm -hmm. for two nights. That's not bad. It's really not. That's really good. And we made it as cheap as possible. Yeah. So right now, based on our projections and mm-hmm. our, our our attendance and projected attendance, we're going to be in the red at the yeah. end. Warren and John and I are going to have to split some of the costs. Yeah. Um, but, you know. A lot of things I've done, I mean, the majority of creative things I've done, I'm the most proud of I had to pay to be able to do. Yeah, and... Yeah. We hope this is a, I mean, we really want this to be a positive experience for the field. And to, we're not going to figure anything out. We're not going to come up with the ultimate answer to the ultimate question of blacksmithing. Yeah. But we're hoping it's going to spark discussion. We hope it's going to lead to interesting conversations and, you know, maybe a little bit more of a focus on, on the future of the field rather than the present or the past. And you're also, I mean, I think things that you might not think about is like you're creating those connections for other people. We hope so. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You're creating some community. Yeah. You're bringing people together. Yeah. If anything, you just get to reconnect with some old faces, and that's important yeah. too. Yeah, and we're yeah. hoping, you know, it'll it'll provide connections for some of the younger Smiths who are attending and yeah, or at least lead some of the older Smiths who are attending to maybe pay pay attention to some of the younger smiths or or be more um active you know it's easy to something john and warren and i have all experienced is you have a business to run it takes up a lot of time and energy um and that's just the fact of the matter 
Yeah. But we're curious. We're involved with these conversations, with these broader questions for our field. Yeah. And so we're hoping this symposium is in some way helping those conversations or will lead to some of those conversations. Um, What's the latest someone can sign up for? So can you like show up that weekend and still come or? We are going to have to put, it's TBD at the moment. All right. But we are going to have to put a hard hard line on things just because of. uh, Catering. Yeah. Yeah. Payment, catering, housing. So we're paying for housing, we're paying for catering, and Mm -hmm. we're paying um, uh our speakers and some of the travel fees yeah. of the presenters. So, um, do you know how many people are signed up right now? Currently, we have sixty-three. That's awesome. Yeah. That's and a really good size. We have kind of a cap of roughly eighty mm-hmm. people. So, forty was our cutoff for even. We said if we didn't get forty people, we weren't even gonna try it. We we're just gonna fold and kind of throw up our hands. And so, are you pretty excited about how it's going so far? Yeah, so yeah. we had a meeting yesterday about some of these numbers. We have a lot to do. There's a month left, and mm-hmm. there's a lot to do about this, both budgetary and organizationally, and actually making it happen. You know, <laughs> yeah. on the on the ground the day of. Yeah. Um, we had a meeting for almost six hours yesterday. Yeah. Three of which was just a wide ranging, broadly based argument about the field. And about the questions we want to have and the questions we want to bring. So the heart of it is going to be this panel discussion. We have four featured speakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Megan Crowley is going to open. She's going to talk about her work and experience as a kind of... I like how there's a female blacksmith opening it. Yep. Hola. From the very beginning, we insisted that in our presenters, we we arrive at parity. Mm-hmm. So we we from the very beginning, we said we need parity in terms of our, our speakers. I so. like that. Megan Crowley's opening. She's going to speak about her work and experience as it kind of applies to the future of the field. Mm-hmm. Anna Lopez is a metalsmith and a decorative arts scholar based in Texas who's going to talk about the history of forged Monell oh. and kind of how it relates to, to Weird. Did she do questions. like something in grad school on it? or she No, just she just it? has a background. She, she's written some other things about decorative arts history, and so huh. we thought she'd be a good fit. So I like that. So we reached that. out and... Uh, um, and then we have uh, Jules uh, Dingle, who's a locally based um, architect. Okay. Who's going to talk about his relationship to uh, metal workers and the crafts. So as an architect who takes on a lot of complex and larger jobs. Yeah. He's going to talk about how he approaches that process. That's interesting. Yeah. Me yeah. as even a non-blacksmith would yeah. find that really interesting. Because yeah. that's for a lot of... of architectural metalwork and other things you're collaborating or conversing with an architect or an interior designer mm-hmm. so he's gonna kind of approach the field from his his viewpoint specifically a lot to be learned and then there. we've got a panel discussion we've got seven panelists yeah uh rachel david who's a blacksmith based in new orleans if you've listened who's to the been podcast, on this podcast been on the podcast yep. i love the episode of rachel yeah. david i think she's really cool yeah yeah. And so she's on the panel. Uh, Pat Neville and Dan. Uh, Pat Quinn and Dan. God, <laughs> I see what I'm you sorry, did there. Guys. I see what you did there. Oh, man. I Pat love Dan. Pat Quinn and Dan Neville <laughs> are from the Center for Metal Arts. Yeah. So they've started a, a metalworking school in uh, uh, near Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just 
incredible and we're so excited to see what the next five ten years with those two brings yeah um leslie knoll program coordinator at um penland school of crafts i drop her name so much on the podcast she's great and we wanted somebody on the panel who is not a blacksmith but yeah who's connected to the crafts and can kind of speak about things i mean she's literally married to a blacksmith yeah so but she's also (laughs) not but leslie's not interested in bullshit like she's (laughs) she's so yeah she's she's the real deal so um and then we've got mike bondy who's kind of our connection to um, the previous generation of metal workers. He runs a large-scale architectural metalworking business in uh, California. Never met him, but I know the name. Yep. Y'all talk about Um, it a lot. He's run a very successful, very large business for a number of years, and he's been Mm. very connected to the wider blacksmith community for over 40 years. Cool. Andrew Kite is a blacksmith and metal worker based in Ann Arbor, Michigan, who runs a business there. He's been a a journeyman smith in Germany, and he's been running his own uh, business for a few years. Cool. And then we've got Vivian Beer, who's a uh, furniture maker primarily and furniture Mm -hmm. designer who has a real deep background in blacksmithing. Yeah. So we did I get everybody and she also had like kind of a national spotlight I mean it you know yeah. she won Ellen's design she challenge. won the Ellen Holy design shit. challenge yeah. she's won a variety of fellowships awards residencies she's a rock star she's kind of a rock star and mm-hmm. uh, we invited her for uh, a few reasons not the least of which is having had a history in blacksmithing yeah but someone who doesn't necessarily use blacksmithing techniques on a daily basis okay so it, it's informed her her work it's informed her process but she's maybe not as beholden to some of these things as maybe some maybe i am or some some other smiths are so we tried to pick everybody to to kind of reflect a different facet of this field and then hoss haley is going to close close the conference with with his based in his experience and and what he sees happening in the future so. so how are you paying your presenters? Did you pick people that you felt like would be like, hey, we can't offer a lot, but they maybe right. would believe so this, in the conversation? The featured speakers, because they're putting together an actual a presentation and uh, a talk, like uh, it's basically an hour to an hour and a half lecture. Yeah. We're paying them an honorarium directly nice. as well as helping with travel. Okay. And then for our panelists, we're just covering the travel. Okay. And then the, uh, um, and then of course everybody's comped for the event. Yeah. So that's nice. It's good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it was a big ask and we were really happy that, that so many people were excited about it and interested in it. Well, I think, yeah, I think that speaks to the type of event it is, right? Yeah. yeah. They're not coming here for a paycheck. They all have their lives. Yeah. 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 It's to get to be a part of something that's exciting, too. Yeah, we hope so. And that's (laughs) not the least of which why we want this to be a successful (laughs) symposium. The people we invited, we all really respect. Yeah. And I mean, they trust in you as well, right? Right. Like, they're not going to say yes to somebody they don't know or has no um, pull in the field. (laughs) Well, (laughs) whatever pull we have. I think mainly we're just known as being... Loud? Really loud-mouthed and, <laughs> and opinionated. But we're hoping to take that loud-mouthed, opinionated kind of thing and putting it out to get 
So it's not just an echo chamber so that we're getting a response from people and finding out what's out there. I don't know what's out there. <laughs> we just, we troll social media and we pretend that's reality. Yeah. But I don't really know what's going on in the field. Yeah. I see my friends and we talk about stuff. Yeah. But until we get everybody together, I don't know how we're going to get any real idea of what's going on. Yeah. You know, I'm not sure how many younger Smiths there are out there Mm -hmm. who are looking to kind of make this their life. And that's a big question for me. Yeah. And so, but I have no way of answering it. Yeah. Outside of the the top 40 hits of Instagram, you know, so... (laughs) um, so that's at least in part why we're doing it. Like, what's out there? We don't know. Yeah. We've reached the limit of our of our own personal discussion and argumentation. So, like, what what's going on, guys? What do you think, feel? What do you see happening? What is the place of blacksmithing in, in contemporary design or contemporary art? Like, where is it going? Like, yeah. Where do you want it to go? So. That's exciting. I hope we're gonna we're gonna find out. I'm so. proud of you guys. I don't, you, know, you know, it's so easy to sit around and bitch with your friends, but to like yeah. make something happen. Well, Warren really threw the gauntlet down and Three was like, symposium. "Damn, yeah." So, so do you? We're think doing you, it. <laughs> yeah, I love when you showed up and I was like, "Yeah." So when next year, and you're like, "Whoa, hold up, no, this is nope. one and done." Nope, nope, nope. So yeah, so we're not seeking to start a new organization. <laughs> We are not, (laughs) like I said, we're not going to get any giant answers. This is about the dialogue. This isn't about the solution. That's not the intention of what's going on It's about the conversation and and seeing what's out there and and seeing what's going on. But Um, what if somebody's like, that was awesome. Would you bring it here and we'll give you funding for it? No. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, no, I mean, actually. I can't speak for John or Warren, but well, I think I like the fact that you're trying page. on a different hat. I talk yeah. a lot about that where there's all these aspects within the field, you know, right. try different things. Right. For instance, Mike Rossi is not going to be the director of a nonprofit right. or run a symposium right. or conference. Right. Well, and so for almost two years, this yeah. has been like having a second job. Yeah. And I cannot. I cannot emphasize enough the degree to which we are not making money off this. <laughs> yeah, you're We are paying. going to lose, we are hopefully going to lose a very small amount of money mm-hmm. on this. But we all have hard costs associated with it. Yeah. We've all, A, Warren, John, and I have all given of our time. Mm-hmm. Specifically, I have to call out Warren has given of his employees' time. Yeah. Because he's had his office staff take care of some of the administrative stuff like setting up a website getting in contact with Squarespace, doing the merchant system for Squarespace. Yeah. Like, he has paid employees to do the work of the symposium. Good on you, Warren. Yeah. And that's all gratis. That's all... Like I said, we're hoping to lose. We're hoping to limit the amount we lose to a very small amount. each or something. We're hoping it's less than... God... Please Sorry. let it be peace less than that. But I had to bring it up. We are hoping it's we are hoping to lose less than that. But yeah. it's we're going to be in the red probably. Yeah. We're just doing this because we felt like it was necessary, mm-hmm. and we felt like it was needed, and we didn't see anybody else doing it. Yeah. If if any other institution or program or any other place had indicated any interest in putting something like this together, we would one hundred percent have just gone as participants 
<laughs> yeah. like, like no don't get this wrong we no. don't actually want to be doing no this. none of us none of us needed another administrative task in our yeah. lives we all run our own business like totally um it's difficult to carve out time for this in our lives so yeah we are really hoping that it has a, a positive impact on the field that it leads to further discussion and mm-hmm. that this is something that we will have done once well i mean i already know that the editor of metal smith magazine was like oh i gotta get somebody out there to write about it you know so you're like you're, you're yeah. on the radar of other right. fields and right. people are taking notice and and that is that is awesome yeah and we want and we're we're trying to go through the the practical side of recording Mm-hmm. these conversations so that we can put them up on YouTube or, or something afterwards. Oh, nice. We're trying to make that happen. Do you have anybody well that know. can do that? Well, we're working with the college to try to okay, to cool. cover the AV side of things. Awesome. Um, we're hoping it works and <laughs> that we have a product we can put out <laughs> afterwards. Yeah. But I'll be completely honest with you. Like, um, when we started doing this, a lot of the feedback that we got from people was, Something like maybe a very polite version of, well, you're kind of doing it wrong. Oh, yeah. I love and, when people say that. Well, to me. it was because we're not snagged. Stop tapping the mic. Sorry. <laughs> He's talking with his hands. Um, and told him not to. I'm Italian, guys. Um, <laughs> we're not snag. And yeah, we're no. not Abana. We're not Penland. We're not an organization or an, 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 an institution. Yeah. So we're just doing this. Yeah, you're independent. You're we're the trying to figure it out as much as possible, and we're trying to put it out there as best as possible. Um, but also, a lot of the feedback that we got when we started reaching out about how do you, how's this been done, how do you do it? Yeah, were things that were not going to result in fast results. Yeah, like they weren't going to turn around quickly. We weren't going to form a nonprofit for a one-time event. Yeah. We weren't going to reach We did not have time or energy to go through a protracted process of applying for funding from from an organization. Frankly, Bryn Athen has been wonderful in terms of of bringing the cost down as much as possible. Yeah. And they've been very generous in dealing with us. Bare bone in it for you. And also just, you know, simple, helpful things like holding our reservations. Yeah. Just indefinitely. Just as much, you know, just and like has been so helpful. Yeah. You know, so they've been so kind. But we didn't have time to apply to an organization or apply to an institution to kind of get them involved. Yeah. We just had to do it because we don't we don't have the hours in a week to like make this our full time focus. Yeah. Um, so we just kind of had to move fast and, and make it happen and and. That's sometimes how you just have to do things. Yeah, if that's you all... try to do it perfection, you're never going to yeah. make it happen. So it might as well like down and dirty, yeah. make it happen. You're doing it. Yeah. People are showing up. Yeah. Whether but or I, not I you're should ready. mention, yeah. And I should <laughs> mention mostly this is my anxiety. Like Warren and John are just like, yeah, we're going to do it. And then it'll be done. We're going to do it. Let's go. Oh, well, and that's like, a good oh, dynamic. God. Yeah. You need the Mike Rossi in the dynamic to like be like freaking out over everything because you're going to pick up on something that they're going to be like, nah, we got this. And you're like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's really like a yin and yang. Way, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to have yeah. like every type I, of I would say crew. the wonderful thing about doing this with three people is that one of us is freaking out about it at any given moment. Yeah. And the other two can kind of be calm. Oh, that's awesome. And is today so, your freak out day? My day is every freak out. I swear, <laughs> but you know, 
You but, look uh, great. You don't look that stressed. Oh, it's all. It's, it's all inner. inside. Yeah. yeah. But that's also, I, I re- this came out of my French, our friendship. Like mm-hmm. we, with each other, we found people that we can vociferously and passionately argue with <laughs> yeah. and not have it um, be taken personally. Yeah. You know, and just have it be part of a passionate discussion. Um, Which is not an easy thing to do. It's not always an easy thing, but we also found, you know, there are anxieties in having your own business. There are constant anxieties in, in, we don't have a boss, we're the boss, you know, like, yeah. and so even having each other to rely on in terms of just those everyday anxieties of, of being an artist, being a studio artist, like the... You know, boy, I sure feel like I suck today. Oh, stuff. you have an unofficial collective. Yeah, we have like a, a little group that we can kind of support each other with. Yeah. And in the same way, we've kind of managed to support each other through this symposium, which is a month away. And it's yes. going to be great. It's going to be great. It's going to be good. Yep. I'm going to I'm gonna try to get out there and just, you know, like sneak in. Um, you can probably figure something out. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Um, so... For those who are interested, yes. let's get some information for yeah. them. What's so, your website called? It's ironsymposium.com. Is that the actual name of the symposium? Yep. It's just Iron Symposium? Uh, the actual name is Looking Forward, a Contemporary Metal Design and okay. uh, Blacksmithing Symposium. But ironsymposium.com? Ironsymposium.com. We figured that was the easiest. Can't believe that wasn't taken. What do you know? <laughs> well, that's because literally no one else was willing to do it. Once again... If someone else had done this, we would just be friendly participants. Uh, Nobody else is doing it, so we did it. Um, uh, are you on? Are you on Instagram? Instagram is at Brynathan Ironwork, or excuse me, at Brynathan Iron. Okay, all one word. Um, and the schedule and everything is on ironsymposium.com. Tickets registration is all on ironsymposium.com, nice. as well as the schedule of events and bios and information about all the presenters and speakers. I do like. Are you are you running the social media? Who's doing that? We're kind of taking it in turns. You're Although doing I would great. Say, uh, Warren has done the lion's share. Yeah, because yeah. um, I'm following you guys, and you're on. You're in my feed. Yeah, we're trying to. You're to highlighting it. everybody. Yeah. I like yeah. how you're doing that. So. Yeah. Um, it actually, because of doing that, it reminded me that you and I had talked about this, what, last October? And I was yeah, like, yeah. oh, shit, we were going to yeah, do an yeah. interview yeah, and highlight yeah, yeah. this. Yeah. So good on your social media. It's yeah. working for you. I hope so. And so we've got we've got enough people to have a conversation at this point. We're hoping to get yeah. a few more registrations. I think registration is probably going to run for two more weeks. Okay. Um as of, right I, now, so as of right now, so I'm going to try to get this out on Friday for you right. guys. So. so registration, if you're listening to this, registration is probably open for another few days. Yeah. But um, <laughs> it's getting tight. Yeah. And that was another, we're, there's so many things we just had to figure out. But one of them was, oh yeah, we have to put an end date on this because yeah. we need to just plan on, on what we have going on. So. Yeah. You have to figure out the caterer. Yeah. Yeah. There's been a lot of learning. Uh a learning experience. A learning experience, but it's been good. So Well, thank you for giving me insight as to... Because um, I think I really like your perspective on this 
that you think about people that run put on symposiums and things like that and you're like they must be so passionate about it and they want to like take on the world and do all these symposiums and you're just like no actually we just got fed up and no one else is doing it so we're doing it yeah so we're just gonna do it here's our opportunity (laughs) we can't be too far out because we don't have the steam and you you know know to carry through for three or four years of planning (laughs) and you know it's gonna be great and there's nothing else to uh compare it to as of recent so uh and there are other there's certainly other things you know I, I will point out that you know one of the things that we found really inspiring was the uh austin forging competition oh i've heard down about in that. austin texas yeah uh, at, at mobile loaves and fishes uh community forge if you're unfamiliar you should check it out yeah and we saw what we, what those smiths were doing down there in terms of forming community bringing people together and and you know that was hugely influential. So it is happening yeah. to some degree. And, you know, there are centers for this stuff, like uh, Center for Metal Arts yeah. is putting on a lot of classes and they are making some serious moves yeah. uh, to become a real premier school for blacksmithing. And it's yeah. really exciting. So there are definitely other other places to kind of get together. The thing was we wanted to put something together that was really focused on discussion. Yeah. That Something wasn't different. about, it's, it's not about technique. We're not going to light a fire while we're there, probably. Not, not even one to sit around and drink. That one we'll probably have. Okay. But good. not a forge. I, say, yeah. I should say, we're probably not going to light a forge. It's really just about the discussion and the conversation. And cool. Hopefully bringing people together to to have it. And yeah. We, Warren and John and I, you should have seen us yesterday. We are arguing and yelling for three hours <laughs> About the biggest, broadest, most esoteric aspects of blacksmithing and contemporary design and art and architecture and everything else. And I just hope that we can bring some of that passion to this conversation and 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 have people kind of passionately defend their viewpoints and their opinions and bring their knowledge to the table. So we'll see. We'll see. I'm excited and nervous. Here we are. I can't wait to see this in action. Yeah. Well, yeah. Mike, um, it's been so nice to get to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a huge fan of this podcast. Yeah. So this has been a real treat. Yeah. Uh, Mike rated and reviewed the podcast on iTunes. I did. Check um, it out. Yeah. <laughs> I take note, people. I'm watching you. <laughs> Um, but yeah. as always, you know, I'm going to put on information about you as an artist. I'm going to put information sure. about the symposium. Um, and yeah. It'll be in the description of the podcast and on the website. So we'll have all that there for you. Is there anything else you got to say before I turn this microphone off? I don't think so. I desperately have to go to the bathroom. (laughs) Thank you, listeners. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, You guys, this has been another episode of Perceived Value, the podcast broaching the subject of value with artists. As always, until next time. Perceived Value is recorded and produced by me, Sarah Rachel Brown. If you love the podcast and you want to show your support, become our patron. Visit patreon.com slash perceived value to learn more. Or check out our website at perceivedvaluepodcast.com and click on the support page. As always, thank you for listening. <laughs>